Exegesis. Hello and welcome to Countdown to Exegesis, your listen-along Steely Dan podventure. Each week we dive deep into a song by Steely Dan, working chronologically through the discography. I am Andrew Souter, resident Dan skeptic, and I am joined as ever by the radiant Oliver Piper. Ollie, how are you? I am full of excitement and happiness to be doing this song and to be joined mm-hmm. by our very esteemed guest today. Mm. So, first ever return guest. Mm. Uh, Second ever guest and first ever returning guest. Yeah, seasoned podventurists will remember him from season one when we were looking at Change of the Guard. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? Mar- Marvellous. Great to be here again. Excellent. Lovely to have you back. And also, Pete, listeners to that episode will remember that Ben... He kind of recounted his Dan journey, yeah. and my old school was a big factor uh, in Ben's Dan fandom. Mm-hmm. That's that's fair to say, isn't it, Ben? Yeah, it was. I feel really connected to this song. I'm 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 really melded to the song, so I'm very excited to today. I hope it shows up in my in my tone. Mm, hopefully, we- more so than when Ollie said he was filled with excitement, <laughs> sounding like he. <laughs> Was lying down. I'm very excited. But to yeah. but to but to go back to the point, this is kind of I see this is kind of Ben's episode. Really, we're here. Yeah, I can't th- I can't hear this song now without thinking of Ben and all of his kind of school leaving headphone adventures with this song. So, not to tread old ground, but do you want to just take listeners through? Just explain to listeners the kind of significance of this song for you, Ben, and and what it kind of does for your legs and brain yeah so um i realized when thinking about this song and its effect on me that um i really never enjoyed school um and uh every time i would leave like an educational institution from probably about age 12 onwards i'd probably have this in a cassette walkman ready to play uh, as I kind of left the gates for the last time and, you know, the the half an hour or 45 minutes on the way away from this organisation that where, where I never really felt, I felt I fitted in, it was this music that kind of propelled me away, you know. <laughs> mm. But particularly, yeah, my, my old school, I mean, my my reading of the song, I think, compared to the readings I've been I've been seeing online over the last few days was very much more like teenage boy centric and uh yeah this this song particularly the other day when I was trying to prime myself fill myself with this song again I I had I'd had a few beers and I think I'd listened to it about seven times in a row and I didn't realize I'd listened to it that much (laughs) But if you ever have a song where you could just, it's like candy for your soul. You can't just, you know, there's no upper limit really to how many times I can listen to this song. I would test that. And there you go. <laughs> Maybe that could be our first kind of charity uh, fundraising uh, Danathon. Yeah. I, I, you know, two, 48 hours I'd be pale and, and shaking in a room, you know, just going like. <laughs> but still singing along to the <laughs> California. Still- yeah, listening to it recently, my biggest creative reaction to it, one one thing I really wanted to do but didn't have the time, was to actually record myself strutting to this song um, with a camera in front of me, like one, like one of those steady cam scenarios, <laughs> and, and and just kind of like going for it because it's the best strutter out there. Excellent. I will and you do a good strut then as well. I've I've seen it happen. Thank you very much. Well, you know, it's songs like this that it, 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 infilt- it you know, introduced the strut, really. It gave me uh, teenage confidence. You, you, know, you know those situations where you're like 13 and, and you don't know really where your confidence is going to come from and sometimes pop music is the, is the way. Mm. This unlikely source of like this weird early 1970s band was what gave me that confidence. At that time, 
if only I had discovered Steely Dan at age 13 instead of like wallowing in the Smiths, maybe that's why I'm the person I am today. Mm. (laughs) But you, you say that about the Smiths, but I think my reading of the Steely Dan songs at that formative age was actually more teenage. Like I saw all those stories in those songs as about a pathetic teenage boy in some way or another. Just because, you know? Mm. Well, I think Andrew would agree with that. Yeah, I think there is something of the uh, of the um, the disgruntled teen in Fagan's lyrics. Yeah, slash Becker's lyrics. Sorry, I need to I need to stop conflating Donald Fagan with Steely Dan. I just can't. I, I hear everything as just like coming through the Fagan conduit. It's difficult mm, it's because easy. he's the voice, but also because his face itself is such a. It, it is like. The epitome of of Danishness, isn't it? <laughs> I was watching a TV performance of my old school today, and he looks sort of livid and insane. <laughs> um, I think I know the one. Yeah, yeah. His his mouth is so large. Yeah, it's just yeah. so large. And that's not. There's nothing wrong with that. that. I'm not. You know. Yeah, I'm not face shaming, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that it, it kind of suit it 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 um it adds a sort of air of uh, bizarrery. I think he uses his whole you know. mouth uh, yeah. in in his singing style. He really enunciates and maybe he's really good at vocal warm-ups. I can see that. Mm. You know, it really I'd love to see doubles his lips do around. vocal warm-ups. Song facts. So, uh my Old School was released as Countdown to Ecstasy's second and final single, uh, backed with Pearl of the Quarter. It wasn't a hit, but uh, by all accounts it was a big FM radio staple. Um, there was a uh, a jukebox promo released afterwards um, that had My Old School, Pearl of the Quarter and Kings of the World on it, but we don't count that. Covers include a version by Moon Pie which is a, a kind of funk soul band uh, who released one album in 1977. Um, an amazing-looking Swedish group called Boogie in 1980. Um, I can't find that one, but I would like you guys to look at the cover. Let me find that and drop okay. a link to you. Cause it... <laughs> oh, okay, oh, okay, okay. God. You know what the funny thing That's... about this Boogie album cover is? Is that this could be right now... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? This could be people from now dressing like this. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. a like a sort of Brooklyn band. Yeah, like it's like a. They just look like a group of mates from now. It's weird. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> Steely Dan on the TV performance I watched uh, this afternoon, they could not be now. No, but you you can tell. I think I saw that same TV performance, and you can tell that the band, the rest of the band, and Becker and Fagan are two separate entities. Yeah, yeah. It really feels that way because the, the rest the rest of the band are like glammed up, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> dancing, waving their hair around. Uh, the backing singers are having a ball, and then there's Becker and Fagan <laughs> looking slightly awkward. Well, Becker just looks like a bassist, doesn't he? Whereas, Fe- yeah, I was going to say he just stands in the line and looks like a moody bass player. Very yeah, rigid like, spine. That's, that's standard for bass players. Yeah. But Fagan, Fagan looks like the well, Babadook. Good. The Babadook. <laughs> okay, so that's the context building shit, right? Actual interesting facts here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys will be the judge of that, but I, I think they're okay. interesting. This is the only song referenced in another Steely Dan song. Unless you count Your Gold Teeth 1 and 2, but we don't count that. So uh, they reference this on the song What a Shame About Me from Two Against Nature. Why don't we grab a cab to my hotel and make believe we're back at my old school? Okay. Mm -hmm. So in that song, is he talking about that same girlfriend? That he had in my old school. Right. Well, well, but he is talking about what seems to be a kind of um, a girlfriend from his younger days, maybe college days. Um, 
I actually got the lyric wrong. It's make believe we're back at our old school. So it could well be like he he's reframing the same relationship as, and now he's a desperate man trying to get her back to his mm. hotel. Mm. Can I just ask a, uh, a, so, yeah. a, a semi-related question for you Dan boys? Mm-hmm. Are there any women in Steely Dan songs who aren't cruel? Hmm. Well, I think, for example, with this song, it depends on your reading. Mm. I think there's always... Mm-hmm. But it's always possible to read them as cruel. It's it's like they mm-hmm. started writing the song, yeah. not meaning to it to be about a cruel woman, and but mm. there's always a way <laughs> to see them as cruel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their natural misogyny just kicked it. It just. I'm 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 struggling to. I think Ben's right. They are either like cruel, scheming <laughs> harlots, yeah. or like it, like incredibly vulnerable sort of jailbait that mm-hmm. um, the the kind of protagonist, if you like, is uh, going after in the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, uh, well, uh, it's, yeah. it's sad that it's sad that you've just confirmed my hunch. Yeah, I was talking to my mum this weekend. I'm sure we'll find. Something. And she and she said I, I was talking to her about Steely Dan and my old school and mm-hmm. having to do this uh, today. And uh, she said, "Oh, Steely Dan, that's the band my uh, that's the band your dad had on the stereo when we were courting." And I was like, "I'm so sorry." <laughs> <laughs> Because they're not—they're not really a band for for women. I mean, unless you ignore the lyrical content. Right. Well, I saw—I mm. saw the other thing I watched this afternoon was a uh, a performance of My Old School from like two thousand and three, and there were women enjoying themselves in the in the audience, mm. having a great old time. Um, yeah, we need to find them because <laughs> yeah. our like demographics yeah, yeah. on our podcasting services are like <laughs> well, as you'd expect obscenely male. Yeah, it's yeah. such a sort of yeah. cock club. Yeah, yeah. So you know, listeners like wives, girlfriends, female friends, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mothers, daughters. Why not just share an episode with them? Yeah. Chicks. I'd love this to feel a little less kind of sweaty and jizz soaked. Yeah, yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I asked about, you know, are there any women in Steve Dan who aren't cruel is because it, it kind of, the, the quote that popped into my mind today was that quote which says something like, if you, if during your day you run into an asshole, as in a person, not a, not a body no, part, an actual if during your day, you, you, no, 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 if, if during your day you run into an asshole, maybe they are the asshole. But if everybody you run into during the day is an asshole, you're the asshole. And uh, right. that just popped into my mind because it feels like so far, an album and a half in, they seem to only encounter assholes or cruel women, mm. you know, and and it seems kind of revealing. Well, I've got a bit of a. I'm not going. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know that my old school was the name of a short-lived band that toured Australia, featuring. Dan alumni Elliot Randall and Jeff Skunk Baxter. Oh. And Elliot and Jeff fell out over it. They were childhood Ooh. friends and they fell out over this Oh, band. here we go. Here's some juice. What did they fall out about? So, Jeff Skunk Baxter, who Elliot described as a, a clever guy, you know, <laughs> not someone to be taken advantage of, mm-hmm. like, got this tour manager on board and was just saying to Elliot, don't worry, it's fine. But as soon as Elliot saw the guy, he was like, this guy's a fucking crook. Um, and then he turned out to be a total crook and stole loads of money off them. And wow. Now, and Elliot blames oh, Jeff shit. for that, understandably. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised so, yeah, because um, Jeff Skunk Baxter's later career revolves around nefarious people, doesn't it? The neocons, the hawks. Well, I'm sure he would disagree. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. from our liberal kind of snowflake standpoint <laughs> yeah. he's he's yeah. a uh, you know he's a he's an architect of destruction yeah 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 but lovely guitar fills on this song <laughs> yeah well you know don't don't mix don't mix the streams this is a favorite song of axel rose from guns and roses <laughs> um he was apparently inspired by uh, this song and other dance songs when recording their seminal <clears throat> Uh, album, um, what's it even fucking called? 
that, one that's just always on sweaty, sweaty rock clubs with all those awful, awful songs. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. can I just explain why I'm laughing? It's because it's just the thought of Axl Rose listening to music. I don't know, it's just like a really, <laughs> really strange thought. <laughs> like, he doesn't seem to have any, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. any real love. There's no love for music communicated in his vocals. Just a kind of um, unfettered testosterone. No. I fucking hate Guns N' Roses. I really, really hate them. Like, I know this isn't a, it's not a controversial opinion, is it? But th- there's just, it's just like I think it will be among some of the listenership. I, I, really, I think, I really? think they're well regarded. You know, guys, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, guys yeah, yeah, I just yeah. had an image in my head. You know how like Lou Reed uh, teamed up with Metallica. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To see a, like a uh, Donald Fagan and uh, <laughs> Guns N' Roses slash team up. That's the same vibe. Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine Axl Rose and Donald Fagan performing together? No, well, I couldn't like, imagine Don behind the piano and, uh... trying to hide his scorn for Axl Rose <laughs> strutting out in front. Vibe. Noun. A vibraphone. I've got two words for you. First one hyphenated. Bostelian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, I, saw, I somehow saw that coming, but I don't yeah. know how. Uh, do you explain? Okay, so when we were discussing the Boston Rag a few weeks ago, um, I made a slightly tenuous connection to Queen, who were my first love uh, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was a big Queen head. And the link that I made back then was that it was kind of a sweet song, as in S-U-I-T-E, lots of different sections, slightly bombastic tone, some sweet melodic rock guitar. None of that applies to my old school. But what is vaguely Queen-esque, I would say, is that they're going for like a big sing-along stadium banger, but it's pushing six minutes, you know? So mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. like Queen, <laughs> they're going for the, the hit, um, and the hips. And the hips. And the internal strut. But on their own terms. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's surprising that it, you've said it's six minutes long because in all the time that I've spent with this song over the years, I never realised it was six minutes long. It feels like a sort of tight and delicious pop sausage. Mm. Well, yeah, because I think the, the, the all the different sections of the song, I think, are longer than they feel. I think the verse is a pretty long verse, and then there's a bridge, and then there's a chorus. <laughs> so that's not that's not interesting. Or <laughs> the instrumental is longer than y- you would expect. Yeah, yeah, for a pop song. Yeah, but it just drives along like a fucking sexy Ferrari, doesn't it? Yeah, there's no fat with on a it. piano it's, on the bonnet. It's lame, man. Um, do you want to hear my vibe, please? Dun 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 dun. dun, dun. That is, that's my vibe. That's the horn part, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's my vibe. Okay. So you're, that sums so, up the song to me. So what you're picking out from the song to summarise its vibe is like the least good thing about it. It's like it's like pumping my fist and pumping my hips and pumping my chest and pumping everything else to the <laughs> rocking beat of this song. Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, you know, uh, oh, I could get like, academic and go into the kind of like the semi-autobiographical lyrics and all the rest of it. But for me, no, the kind of uh, the the essence of this song is in that in those banging horn riffs. Mm. I, I disagree. Like, I think that I think the I think the horn riffs are like a, an encrustation on an otherwise beautiful shell, like a ship coated with horny barnacles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waiting to be holy stoned. Um, ben, do you want as guest? Can you uh, say which vibe you think is the most um, apt? Well, <clears throat> I have to say I, I'm more inclined to go with uh, Ollie's pumps mm-hmm. because I feel this song very physically myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's what I was trying to express. It's like a, it's there's just a physicality to this song which. Uh, for uh, uniquely, sorry to sorry to just jump aboard your uh, paddy wagon there, Ben. Ben, okay. um, but uniquely in the Dan catalogue, you don't have to worry about the kind of the the intellectualness of, of of the lyrical content or anything else. It's just pure like internal strut. Yeah, the strut is 
is so powerful that for me, I actually have to dig a little bit to think about the lyrics even. Mm. You know, yeah, I, me too. Yeah. that I had trouble with this song because I was like, it speaks for itself. It's just like, it's just my my chest is pumping in my... Well, you get the picture. Mm. Yeah. Does that song have words? <laughs> well, so I know I've just been rude about the horns, but one thing I, I really like about this song is that the fancy words that are included, the sort of attention-grabbing words that the, the lyricist might be proud of, like Guadalajara and Oleanders, are all delivered in a very rhythmic, uh, strutting way. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. th- there's an intellectualism to the word choices, but it doesn't sound like that. Mm. You don't yeah. hear him say Oleanders and think, oh, he's being poetic, because it's sung with a thrust a thrust of the jaw, a thrust of his big shark mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool. I don't know if you've heard that episode, Ben, but he uh, Andrew has a recurring nightmare that Donald Fagan is a shark, and <laughs> he's a very lippy shark. Yeah. Kind of, kind of swims through like inky blackness, and 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 just gets up to him and goes, <laughs> <laughs> goes and yeah, and God. I had a. I've already told Ollie this, but I had a. I had a Steely Dan dream last week, where I was feeling like I was coming down with something. Yeah. And I had a kind of weird fevery dream, you know, where it's very like, um, like your brain is overheating and it's it's sort of, uh, oh. and uh, it was like I was watching a sort of experimental theatre piece yeah. from above. So I was like looking down on the stage, and in the in the top left hand corner of the stage there was a, a, a naked weeping woman. Right. And then on the other side, on the, like the right-hand side, there was a, a family who were all like vomiting and weeping. Okay. They were all just like laid out on the, on this stage, which I was observing from above. And all of this was soundtracked by what I imagine Gaucho to sound like. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't press be, on this point, but what do you... Future Dan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The ghost of yeah. Dan Future. What uh, wow. can you can you kind of give us a taste of your dream gaucho? Because uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm desperate to know. I mean, Sing it was a dr- dream gaucho. It was a dream, so it probably wasn't. You know how in dreams, like you have a chat with a smell. You know what I mean? It's like your yeah. All your senses get mixed up, but it was basically sort of like uh, David Lynch, Ian, smooth jazz rock. You mm-hmm, know, it was yeah. kind of like. Um, Late night, you know, 3am in the club, there's a, a, a bossa band playing kind of thing. But with yeah. that kind of David Lynch rock and roll fetishism vibe. Yeah, and also there was some vomiting naked people displayed <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. on a stage. So it kind of had a, a, an unnerving edge to it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very, very yeah. unpleasant. Um, anyway. Fagin fever dreams, wow. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty vivid. The music. I have nothing to say about the music. So I have nothing to say about the music. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had something to say a minute ago. You were saying that you hate the horn arrangement. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. Do you want to know my thoughts on the horn arrangement? I think this is the first great Steely Dan horn arrangement. Oh. This is the first Steely Dan horn arrangement, isn't it? But it's the first great one. <laughs> Because it's the first one, and the quality control yeah. is very high. Mm-hmm. We haven't seen any horns before. I don't think so. In an arranged no. way. Okay, that's surprising. Um, it, it was arranged. The horns were arranged by Jimmy Haskell, who also arranged the horns, uh, the strings. Sorry, on Chicago's "If You Leave Me Now." Okay. Well, this song really reminds me of Chicago. Really? Yeah, because Chicago is rock with horns. Horny rock. Yeah. This song and, reminds and also me of... very intricate, you know, filigree horns. Like you know, after the California, what's the lyric? California will tumble oh, into the sea, and there's this kind of like <laughs> cascading. Yeah, that is pure Chicago. Staccato, lots of notes. Yeah, busy, busy, busy. Um, would you draw comparisons to Motown? No, you wouldn't draw comparisons to Motown with this song. Not with the horn arrangements. No. 
Because I think a Motown horn arrangement is much more functional. This is de- this is decorative. Singers? What about the fact it basically goes to like the classic Motown beat in some parts? Yeah, this is a hundred percent like a mo like a Steely Dan do Motown. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just uh, you're you're being very defensive. <laughs> the the thing I was uh, uh, questioning was whether the horns were like a Motown horn arrangement. Well, no, okay, I can see that that's not the case. But yeah, but... I think this is Motownish. It's kind of like <laughs> Bob Dylan. <laughs> Motown fusion, in a way. Yeah, well, I see it as kind of... I don't think there's... Because you alluded to this earlier, Ben, but you were saying, like, this is... And Dan... And Dan... Dan Andrew. (laughs) Dan Drew. (laughs) Am I I the the sort of embodiment of Steely Dan to you now? You're like the... um, You're like, you know, in cartoons, there'd be an angel and the devil on the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. So you're the devil and Donald Fagan is the angel. (laughs) That's... Um, so Dandrew, uh, <laughs> the um, Dandrew mentioned this as well, but uh, mm. in terms of his vibe and the Queenish stadium rockishness of it, this is to me like this is more than anything else before or since in 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 Danland. It's this is like them Taylor making a pop song. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else is like we're trying to write a hit here. I what mean, about the irony is, of course, it wasn't a hit. No, because Change of the Guard is like such a squib. Yeah, but I think I think this. this is Change of the Guard Mark II. Mm. Well, it's gone through many upgrades. I, if Change of If Change of the Guard is version one, this is version sixty. I I wasn't saying anything about the quality. Just that I think that they have uh, they have the Motown rhythmic vibe, and also Change of the Guard is meant to be sung along to, isn't it? Oh, yeah, but. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're not making a comment in quality. No, um, not at all. I am defensive because this is like <laughs> yeah. one of the best songs ever written and Change of the Guard is fucking no, it's shite. it's probably the best. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll put my chips in the corner. This is the best song ever written and Change of the Guard is, is, the is a fucking... <laughs> Are you being serious? <laughs> uh, I'm going to put my sauce on the table. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spread the sauce all over my chips and then throw them at a painting of... Christ. Okay, enough of the enough of the <laughs> sort of psychosexual metaphors. Do you really think this is one of the best songs ever written? Yeah, hundred percent. That is a strong opinion. Ben, maybe not written, it. but made. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Because I, I, I can. I was thinking about this about how this song would sound fairly tepid on a piano solo. Yeah. But then, as it as it comes to life in the studio, it probably felt amazing. Yeah, I would love to have played on this song. For sure, mm-hmm. it's a good fun time song, but one of the best songs ever ever written slash made. Mm. Yeah, I want some of what you're having. <laughs> once you want, you just gotta consume more Dan, mate. Yeah, it's like it, could you if you if you ate like a really great blue cheese, mm-hmm. but it was the first blue cheese you've you'd ever you'd ever eaten. Yeah, you're not gonna say with confidence this is the best blue cheese in the world are you yeah but if i listen to more steely dan all i'm gonna know is whether it's a good steely dan song it's not gonna hopefully it's not gonna shift my whole well you've heard other music before that's what i'm saying so if i if I, so just listen to all the music and then come back once i've got to yeah once i've got to the end of the steely dan discography i'll be able to say wow my old school is definitely better than all this shit but it's not gonna make me think oh yeah actually this is better than uh Marvin Gaye and I'm trying to think of great I'm trying to think of great music. Um, You're trying to think of great music that isn't the same music you always mention. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. Um okay. But uh but yeah, I I think there's weirdly not a lot to say because because it kind of speaks for itself. I think what about the solo? <laughs> That's not going to pick that. Can up. you concede to the horns that they, the way that skunk kind of jumps around the horns like a little stringy imp, is <laughs> like quite pleasant? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I like, I like uh, all of the guitar filler is superb. Um, and yet you can't help but describe it as filler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> even as I'm, uh, even as I'm lavishing praise on it, I'm, I'm doing so in a backhanded way. Beautiful yes. trash. Would you like an impromptu fact? 
about the solo? I'll give you two, actually. So, uh, this is one of Baxter's favourite solos mm-hmm. of his uh, of his performing career. I can believe it. It was recorded using a Stratocaster that he made himself. Like Brian May. A few hours, yeah. A few hours before recording the track, he finished his guitar, and he thinks that's why it's one of the best solos he's ever played. Right. Although I also know for a fact that um, Beckman Fagan made him redo it. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. you know, take that story with a pinch of salt. Made him do it with a different guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Gary Katz has also said that his most, the most memorable moment in recording this song was that <laughs> Jeff Skunk Baxter <laughs> turned red while recording the solo. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I could totally picture it. Just with, uh, with with the concentration required. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Like holding your breath, the yeah, bass face. Yeah. yeah. There's a really good. There's a really good bit where he's basically playing power chords on the top two strings, on the high strings of the guitar, and it sounds really cool. And the pinched bits are good as well. It's all great. Skunk is good <gasps> on this. Oh my god. Okay. So what have we heard from you today? <laughs> You're warming to Fagan. Yeah. And. Skunk is good. What a change of tune. Well, I always say skunk is good. I'm always rhapsodising about skunk. Yeah, but you you think that he's a he's a kind of nuclear yeah, he's, bomb ready to explode. Yeah, he's a he's a war and, war crime apologist. But I love his playing. Can I just say I've just been listening. I, I just watched the YouTube video, which is someone a guitarist replaying the solos, the skunk back to solos from this song but like in a kind of like um embarrassed way like so that the title of the video was like my favorite skunk baxter guitar from my old school why is my favorite guitarist gonna bomb me <laughs> oh he was complaining about it he was he was mad yeah, he, was, he was like I, I i'm gonna play these riffs before jeff skunk baxter bombs my house <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we all have conflicted feelings about Skunk. Yeah. Guys, what what do you think of the piano? The intro sounds like Fire in the Hole. Yeah. Yeah, it's that kind of playing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Strident, angry piano, to quote (laughs) the Wikipedia page. Really? (laughs) For uh, Can't Buy a Thrill, yeah. For Fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By Um, the time we finish doing this podcast, I mean the whole journey, my brain is just going to be littered with useless information isn't it yeah can you be, you're going to be able to be able to entertain boomers who by that point will be in their 80s and 90s I, i'm kind of i'm kind of flabbergasted that we don't have more to say about the music because like it's musically i think this song is so great yeah and i'm giving everything away in terms of my feelings on this song but i like it's it's perfectly constructed i think as a as a kind of big shouty pop song with these deliciously vindictive lyrics on top, it's like it's it's the perfect thing. But it's almost like so. I've been to Iceland recently, right? And it's the best holiday I've ever had. I think it's like it is absolutely phenomenal. And I hate it when people ask me about it because it's like if I want to do justice to this experience, I'm going to have to waste about forty minutes of both of our time. Yeah. Like to 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 even mm-hmm. get it across, so I'd rather say nothing. At I all. think the only way this to is, talk yeah. about this song is to dance. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, really. yeah. Well, just to sound a uh, dissentient note, I don't share your uh, sort of dewy-eyed love for this. I think it's musically very very good, but it would be so much better without those horns and without the uh, shouty gospel backing singers, because it, at that point it sounds to me like it has been. Made in a little rock FM petri dish, you know. To uh, they, they want to see the front row singing the tune back at them. So I was thinking that of the Steely Dan clan, the person that we seem to know least about is Mr. Gary Katz who produced all, I believe, of their studio albums. So I thought we could get to know Mr. Gary Katz a little bit better. Oh, hello. So what I've done is I have got for you an extract from his uh, studio memoirs. Um, 
It was a book called The Long Walk to Ecstasy, The Studio Diaries of Gary Katz. And it's... Uh, I didn't even know this existed. Yeah, well, you're in for, wow, you're in for a treat. Uh, so this is an entry from the time that they were recording my old school. I arrived at the studio around 10. Denny and Jim were already there, enthusing about today's song, a new one called My Old School. It's funky, but snide, said Jim, grinning appreciatively. Skunk was next to arrive, wearing some kind of Viking helmet and muttering <laughs> about the red threat. <laughs> sounds made up. <laughs> oh, no, it couldn't possibly be. It no, be. I mean, it sounds <laughs> too good to be true. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, too true to be. Finally, true. Donald and Walter sashayed in. <laughs> said your cats. Said Donald, still enjoying the desk job. He smirked and high fived Walter. We did a few pre- preliminary takes, and the band seemed pleased with the playbacks. But Donald decided that I had, in his words, fucked with the juju by adding a splash of reverb to the second saxophone. And he started berating me, saying, you're the midwife, Gary, not the fucking baby. (laughs) Walter laughed uproariously, but when Donald finally let go of my lapels and sat back down at the keyboard, Walter shot me a sympathetic look as if to say, you're the best goddamn engineer in the business, Gary. I appreciated that. You you, you know what this reminds me of? (laughs) The Alan Partridge autobiography. (laughs) It's exactly like that. I cats. Yeah. <laughs> like cat's eyes, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, ba- uh, that's, basically, that... that's basically it. There's one more sentence, but it's... Oh, please, please carry on. I'm, I'm, I'm enraptured. It was an exhausting session, and we didn't wrap things up till after 12. But I think we got the take, unless Messrs Becker and Fagan have different ideas. Yeah. I like it. Wowza. So there you go. That, the what a window! That, that's worth the million song facts. That is, that's yeah, incredible. Yeah. I have to get Thank that you. book. It's yeah. very partridgean. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. we it's um, powerful stuff. Yeah. I can't wait to get Gary Katz on the podcast and and ask him directly <laughs> about some of the quotes that you've. Uh... Is he still around? For sure. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, that was written by Gary Katz, not by me. But in the first version, which I was going to read, it ended with him and his wife making rowdy love till dawn. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you would, well, you'd want to have to do in this song. Needless yeah, to yeah. say, we yeah. made rowdy oh, love. love. <laughs> 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 the lyrics. Maybe a good uh, approach is to say, well, like, for Andrew, what, what vibe did the lyrics put forth without... Any that's a good. That's a good point. Let's go for that. Let's hear Andrew. Yeah, going in fact blind. It's like what, a. What? It's like a vox pop. It's just I'm. Mm. I'm just a passerby, and you're like, what is this lyric about? And then you're going to bore me senseless with, uh, <laughs> like, details from Walter Becker's diary or whatever. No, but actually, okay. So I think it's about uh, uh, college life. It's about pot smoking. It's about um, disastrous love affairs, meetings, partings. You know, the flux of, of student life and the sort of bitterness towards it. And it's a sort of elite, it's an elite world. Mm. Yeah, that's what I got from it. Um, would, you like the, would you like the history lesson now? Not really, but I know that I have no choice. <laughs> I would love to kind of provide a seeg into the history lesson by providing what, how I felt about the song when, mm. when I first yeah, heard it. Yeah, please. Please do. Please, that's, that's perfect. That's why you're here. <laughs> so, uh, being an early teen, when I first got into this song, I really kind of connected with Steely Dan because, you know, we, we've gone over this before, this idea that, like, um, they're the spurned males, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> um there's an incel vibe as well. Sometimes there's this. Kind I'm so of... glad you've said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> you, you know, so much rock from that era is a, is like that. It's just like, oh, my baby did me wrong. Um, and <laughs> but as a teenager, you know, like this is this is often how you feel. So this is how I took the song: is that that he's this is this guy, he doesn't quite understand that his girlfriend is trying to leave him and uh, he's he's kind of in denial. This, this is how I read the song. 
it's similar actually in in a way in my mind to the character in um reeling in the ears because he, he he's like well i'm so brilliant you can you can't possibly not you can't possibly believing me and <laughs> yeah how, i i thought this yeah. as well like how it, there's an element of like how dare you have your own thoughts yeah. and experiences but there's also which a, is a, like also a self-awareness the about the that years. you know it's not com- not completely like oh you're an idiot because you're a woman you know it's, it's like i'm deluded as well for not realizing that i'm not meeting your expectations and so there's a real sense of like you know I don't know the distance between them basically physical distance between him and his girlfriend which obviously his girlfriend was still in New in New York and and he was just having these misunderstandings uh this this is what comes across for me you know like he can't get through to her for the US mail Mm -hmm. um He's trying to warn her about things, but you get the sense that she's okay. She's getting on with her life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, interesting. That is um, really interesting. Yeah. You know, and then and then he talks about like, okay, he, she's living like a gypsy queen in a fairy tale. Um, well, know, I should point out actually, he's not quite like if I, that. If I can just point out there that like most lyric sites have that line down as leaving like a gypsy queen in a fairy tale. Well, oh. I, I I hear it as living like a gypsy queen in the fa- fairy tale. Yeah, yeah, I hear it. As Unless it means that she's left multiple times because it's. I can't stand her doing what she did before. Leaving, leaving like yeah. a gypsy queen, you know what I mean? As in, she's like this has been an on-off relationship potentially. Yeah, I'm gonna take living. Uh, I choose living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I yeah, um, I, I think if you, if you view it through that lens of this is a relationship song then that makes a lot of sense i think this is i think that the woman in this song is potentially a straw man for other uh, snipes that they want to get out yeah I, I absolutely agree with you in through a current lens i absolutely agree with you and, mm-hmm. and reading more about the song but that's a little bit like a concession they made to make it more of a successful pop song, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, how can we express certain things through the code of a uh, of, of a pop song, which is usually about some male-female relationship? Yeah. So it's like uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar using the word bitch to refer to the record industry or using it to refer to, like, white exploitation. You know, it's like he's using this this trope of yeah, yeah, accepted accepted trope, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's shy. He's kind of like yeah, using it to talk about deeper things. Sorry, I'll finish my point about thirty seconds. I ago. think the interesting thing that's happening with these lyrics is that they're kind of having a cake and eating it. You know, in a classic Steely Dan way, like it's you know a misdirection it's it's something camouflaging is another thing okay so who's the girl yeah. who does the girl stand for okay well look the girl the landlord the, can, can i can i jump in here <laughs> and and give and give the background i know i've i've kind of called it a history lesson in a sort of self-aware way but but can i just kind of give the background to this this is like accepted it make more sense actually with the history like lesson. like this they've they've basically said this is at least inspired by this incident that happened at bard right which is um walter becker donald fagan uh, Fagan's current girlfriend at the time and about 41 other students were arrested in a drug bust at Bard College. Smoking with the boys upstairs. Yeah. So, okay. so um, just to quote Fagan's friend Terrence Boylan here, right? Um, sorry, Terrence Boylan, not Terrace Boylan. It's not... <laughs> that, that sounds like a sort of... That Terrace is... <laughs> Boiling, <laughs> too hot out there. Um, they went up and down the halls, knocking on doors. Toilets were flushing everywhere to get rid of any pot you had. I threw mine out the window. All you had to do was say to the cop, "What are you doing?" And they'd say, "That's it, resisting arrest." Someone would say, "What the hell is going on?" Oh, profanity, arrest him. And Fagan also says, uh, "In these days, there was a war on long hairs, as they used to call it." 
and bards in this kind of rural district. They picked up about 50 kids just at random. Uh, there were a few warrants. One was for me, which was based totally on false testimony. Um, they handcuffed our hands, put us in a paddy, paddy wagon, yada, 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 and he went through some sort of legal process. Yada, yada, yada. Anyway, like to cut a long story short, like there's a police department which is basically dead against this hippie college existing in Annandale and um, and, and, and uh, periodically would do these drug raids, right? The uh, So Fagan and Becker got caught up in that. Becker wasn't technically a student at that point, but he got taken away, as did Fagan's girlfriend. Um, so the what you'd think is obviously Fagan's girlfriend is going to be the antagonist of this song. That That's the natural assumption to make. I have things to say against that. But uh, also, there's a, there's a deeper point, which is that basically, like Fagan and Becker have talked. Well, Fagan really has talked positively of it, of his time at Bard. He's like he seems to have positive memories of it. Like he was he was this kind of shy kid going into his college, and he he kind of quote unquote found himself. Um, he had friends to use a to use a cliche. Yeah, he had friends. Mm. Like it's the only as you said before, he said it's the only time in his life where he's had friends. Mm. Um, you know, and he, and he's 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 kind of going through a musical awakening and all the rest of it. Uh, why do why does this song have such a grudge against Bard College? Right, that's that's the kind of question because he seemed to have enjoyed his time there, apart from having a drug bust and all the associated associated legal fees, etc. Now, one reason why there could be some anger at Bard, if it isn't just a kind of like uh, teasing jibe at something you like which it could well be, like this song. Um, well, Bard had allowed the police to plant um, undercover cops oh, in the college Bard. in the run-up to the uh, in the run-up to the drug bust. Oh, man. It puts um, things into perspective, doesn't it? Undercover cop's name? Walter Becker. <laughs> <laughs> D.I. Skunk. <Yeah>. Baxter. <laughs> Baxter, you brilliant bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so you've done it um, again, Bax. So with that, sorry, I'm jumping straight back into it. But with that background in mind, right? I have two theories that perhaps make this a deeper lyric than a simple attack on a school and an ex-girlfriend. Okay. Right. Number one, that the girl is acting as a straw man for the sort of well-to-do people in Bard. Mm-hmm. So Becker and Fagan have described themselves in interviews as basically like the only poor kids at Bard. Sorry, Becker and Fagan? Ever. Yeah. Fagan was they, poor. So they were on scholarships. Oh, well, that's not poor, to, is it? To go to Bard, right? But they've said, you know, well, everyone else had like cigars and Ferraris. But and comparative. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have lines like... Your daddy was quite surprised... To find you with the working gals in the county jail. Mm-hmm. So it's like, is this kind of... Uh, and also, you know, this kind of like, oh, Guadalajara won't do. William and Mary won't do. Yeah. So so what becomes this kind of... So what could be seen through a lens of, of incel-ish sort of like, well, nothing's good enough for women, is it? Um, <laughs> if, if, you, if you view the kind of subject of this song as, as standing in for their distaste for well-to-do bar students then uh, that's one way mm. of looking at it. Um, but it's still... I definitely, I definitely agree, and I think that there's like some phantom well-to-do parents hovering over this song. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just on the edge. There's a little bit of a sort of common people vibe, isn't there, in, in, in some of it? Yeah. Um, what or a slightly more tinfoil hat theory, which is more related to what I was talking about, is, is this girl a stand-in for the police plant that was so controversial like that bard allowed a, a police an undercover cop to be there now the reasons i say that is like the lines i did not think the girl could be so cruel mm-hmm. and also but i can't seem to get to you through the u.s mail also living like a gypsy queen in a fairy tale if, if... flighty <laughs> no i was gonna no. <laughs> flighty <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, living like a gypsy queen in a fairy tale could be like the plant is play acting because they're having to sort mm-hmm. of um, 
you know, go undercover, be incognito um, in this fairy tale land of exclusivity. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to I'm trying to back up your tinfoil theory for some reason. Yeah, but also, you know, I can't seem to get to you through the US mail is because everything's being either being intercepted by cops or, you know, once she's done her duty, she uh, the, she's not going to answer any mail, is she? Because she's finished playing her part. Yeah, um, it's not great though, is it? So if if these readings are true, which I can. Uh, I can definitely entertain uh, as possibilities. But if you want to write an attack on undercover cops or rich elites and you choose to represent them with a woman, it's a bit off, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, what is it? What? Why Why are you drawing on this like very basic gender trope in order to launch your attack on the, on the, on the undercover cops? Just write a song about undercover cops, you know. In the same way, it's a bit like Kendrick Lamar. You think, okay, so he's he's trying to regenerate or breathe some life into these old tropes about bitches and players and gold diggers and stuff by applying them to uh, the record industry. Mm. But why not just why not just ditch the? But then that makes it open to misinterpretation. Exactly. So yeah. Much, yeah. You know. Yeah, but also it's you know, still like like for example, I I I just thought you know I did not think a girl could be so cruel. You know. It's, an early teenage, I, I thought that was talking about the girl. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. In a very literal way. Mm. And it may well be. I mean, don't like, take all of these with with a heap of salt, but mm. I do think that they're both a stretch. The mm. I, I think there's I think there's most certainly elements of like being kind of upwardly snooty at rich people yeah, definitely. in this song. Yeah, like... But I don't know that the second reading is correct where this is this is coded for a police plan i i even i as a as a serial dan defender think that's a bit of a stretch mm. one day these questions will be answered in a splendid exegesis can i say one final thing about this lyric <laughs> yes please. which is so earlier i was saying that a nice thing about it is the way that you get these obscure words which they're savoring but then they're sort of used sonically like Mm -hmm. Annandale, Guadalajara and so on and that's Mm -hmm. a very satisfying thing about it as a lyric and what I like is that that is then set against kind of cliches you know like songwriting stalwarts like well I did not think the girl could be so cruel or Mm -hmm. I hear the whistle but I can't go that sounds like a Mm -hmm. you know George Jones or something like some country song and I like those well, registers, you know, like the the mingling of registers is, is quite cool. Um, yeah. So I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to say hats off Steely Dan, unfortunately. Is this the first <laughs> time you, is this the first time you conceded they've written a good lyric? Is this? Well, I don't, I still don't really, I still be. don't really know what it's about. Uh, but it's, but that it's, doesn't mean it make it a bad It's lyric. an ear catcher. It's very ear catching and satisfying and juicy. Mm. I like it. Can we go? Can we, as an exercise, go over some of the some of the claims from Genius.com? Um, <laughs> sure. Do Do you think that? For some reason, uh, sorry, so to, so to interrupt, but there's like every episode that we do, there's one moment when I think, "What the fuck am I doing with my life?" And when you said, "Can we go over some of the readings on Genius.com?" <laughs> uh, it sounds a bit sad. Yeah, but um, well, sure. <laughs> let's. There, there's, there's just a couple of things that I want to mention, right? So, first of all, the first line of the song. I remember the 35 sweet goodbyes. Uh, according to Genius, this is a metaphor for his girl giving him a blowjob. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. I can... I've got something to say about that. I think that could be a. a... Are you serious? N- not. Are n- you serious? You're entertaining that as a reading. I'm not entertaining the the the, the sweet goodbyes are blowjobs, but <laughs> I'm entertaining the possibility that the 35 sweet goodbyes were sexual. Yeah. It's kind because it's kind of a coy, a coy joke. It doesn't work out. 35 sweet goodbyes. What? Right. So the theory online is that 35 <laughs> is half of a 69. Right. Oh, so, oh for God's sake! That's seventy. Yeah, yeah. Is it's is is sick? It's disgusting. Yeah, that's wrong. Puerile. I. But yeah, it mathematically it doesn't work out because half of the sixty nine is thirty four point five. Yeah. Okay. But you'd round it up, wouldn't you? I Would guess. you round it up? Yeah. How many? How many? Um. I don't <laughs> no, do sex maths often. How many blowjobs did you get? Oh, 
69.5. Yeah, but but like I mean, you know, if you look at a 69, there's there's cunnilingus on one side, and yeah, I know what a 69 is. Well, if it's a heterosexual one, of course. Yeah. Um, which I guess in this case it was. So there's the cunnilingus on one side, and Mm -hmm. then you got the uh, the old, the old, the old. old I mean, listeners can't see this, but Ben's sort of arm mime of what sixty nine is is truly horrible. Um, but yeah, why are the hands like claw hands? (laughs) (laughs) The claw represents the genitalia. Okay. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Oh dear. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what do you think about that, Ali? Do you um, think there's think, some weight in that? I think I think it's an interesting coincidence, but nothing more. But why thirty-five? Because of the the because the it sonic, scans. Yeah, the, it sounds good. Yeah. The thirty-five sweet lovely. goodbyes. Let's try some other possibilities. The forty-four sweet goodbyes. That sounds pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The sixty-three no, it doesn't, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you got the softness the of the seventy sweet against the hardness goodbyes. of the thirty-five. It is a nice sounding mm. number. I'll give mm. them that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also have no problem with the idea of him getting a goodbye blowjob. You know, that, there's no problem with that. <laughs> that's, and it, that's and very it's generous, one of the less disgusting ways to say that. You know. Yeah, if he said, "I remember the thirty-five sweet blowjobs." Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember the last 35 blowjobs you gave me before I left. <laughs> they were all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but it could be it could be a cheeky euphemism. Not necessarily standing in for blowjobs, but just standing in for like kisses or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was thinking kisses. That's what I was thinking. That's literally what I was thinking like like in an innocent way. He's like Oh god, imagine giving Walt um Donald Fagan 35 kisses. <laughs> You'll be dreaming of that today. <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous. I think even one kiss is is rather dangerous. Yeah, Jesus. With those lips. Slam. Or scam. Pen Jones of the caricaturing landscape. What is your feeling on this song? Is it good, a royal slam, or bad, a royal scam? Well, I could listen to this on the desert island, you know, as my only song that I take there. So I think that says it all. It's a it's a slam, baby. We didn't, I mean, why you ask? Because like I said, this is Ben's episode. This is Ben's song. <laughs> I requested um, this. And for me, like, uh, also, Slamo per Scamo. No, wait, let me say that again because that's really confusing. Slamo Cablamo, this song is. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were saying Slamo per Scamo, like Slam, Slam or Scam, you know, but in, yeah, 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 in, Italian, in, in like Pig yeah, Latin. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 no. <laughs> this song is Slamo Cablamo. Because it is absolutely one of the best Steely Dan songs. And also just one of the songs where Steely Dan just kind of give it all away. Like, musically speaking, at least. It's like, like it doesn't matter how many kind of layers you want of the... Uh, you want to kind of peel back of the onion of the lyrics. Like, because, like, the music itself is so pure pop. Yeah. It, it, like, it, it's just... It's very. It would be very, very hard, I think, to hate this song. But let's see what Andrew's going. There's to a lot of verve, man. You know, there's just a lot of enthusiasm and mm. and meticulousness gone into the creation of this. And even though, and I will say this, just just one last thing. Even though there are, it it's quite maximalist in the production. There are a lot of different elements going on. It just it they made it all worked, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. too much. Hundred percent. And know? yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, I can't remember what I was going to say, and I just interrupted you. But Sorry. yeah, like totally. Yeah. Um, Andrew, it's a soft slam. <laughs> oh my fucking god! <laughs> so, I think it is indisputably like I agree with you, Ollie. I can't imagine anybody hating it. It's really good. It's really good. Like, it, it's uh, it's fun. It's good, clean fun with smart lyrics. 
and I enjoyed it and it's been going on my head all day and I like things about the lyrics that we talked about and I like Skunk's contributions as always. However, I don't think it's... Well, I can hear that it's meticulous in it because of the horns and stuff. It's all very like carefully constructed. But to me, it is too much. It's like overselling an already great song in a way that I find a slight, like ever so slightly annoying. So it is definitely a slam, but it is not up there with Showbiz Kids or Razor Boy. Oli looks. Oli says interesting, but he looks furious. I'm genuinely offended. I am. <laughs> yeah. I am. Did I you can't... think I was going to fall for this? Yeah, hundred percent. This is like this is mm. like for me. This is pure suitor material. I actually I did can't... think you would fall for it a bit more. Right. Well, no, I, I like it. I think it, I think it's really good. I think he's just a contrary pixie of a man. That's what <laughs> I think. Yeah, and maybe. he maybe and he bit. and he knows that he should like it, so he's not liking it as much as he should. Mm. But yeah, you know, Showbiz Kids is more lean. You know, I, I, I see it yeah. yeah. in a way. I, I just think that this would be like a, a a pure slam if it was if it didn't have all the uh, the bells and whistles. But I want to leave you guys with the image of me as a 13 year old just mm. kind of like strut gyrating awkwardly mm. along do a you, leafy lane do um, you have to leave us with that image i do have to leave you with that yeah okay <laughs> because it's it was it was important to me you know to i don't know have some anchor have some kind of like rhythmic purpose at that age. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Countdown to Exegesis. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Um, please follow us if you fancy on the social medias we are Countdown to Exegesis on most things or Exegesis Pod on Twitter because of character limits we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Countdown to Exegesis if you feel like supporting us with a cup of tea or more Ben, our guest today has is the artist behind the caricatures that you might have seen on the aforementioned social media and we'd like to say thank you to Ben, obviously, but also if you want to say thank you to Ben, give him a follow on the following places, Ben. Hi, I'm at, at Penn Jones Cartoons on Instagram. Come at me with your ideas. I'd love to hear them. Just come right at me. Weird, um, Steely Dan themed artwork is what Ben is craving right now. <laughs> so, you know, if you've got any ideas, hit him up. Hit me. Baby, Cup. one more time with your rhythm stick. Um, so yeah, great, uh, great music. Too great to talk about. To, yeah, it's I, it's not a case of that's it's not right. a case of words. It's a case of physicality, gestures, mm-hmm. humping. Mm-hmm. But then, but then you're humping, and then the words hit you, and you're like, I can't. I want to hump more because the words are powerful, but I can't. Because <laughs> I can't. My, my, I only have ten thrust points on my character sheet, and I cannot mm. do. I cannot do more. Well, I suppose when I first heard the song, I did want to hump more. Um, being in, being an early teen. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Maybe it was my gateway to hump. Oh, I hope it's mine. Thanks for. <laughs> <laughs> are you saying that you want to? Make love to both me and Ben. Is that <laughs> no, just. I think. Just I think what you want to do is um, you want to uh, play this on the scene like it's some kind of boombox scenario, walking through the middle of Birmingham mm-hmm. and just glancing. I remember. <laughs> it's Kilokio. Like when strutting you put in... me on the Wolverine and the Andrew, you have to be you have to be wearing flares and strutting in half time. Yeah, That's yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> With pleasure. No, in fact, like one one step per bar. That's the way to <laughs> it. Must be like. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
I remember the temperature. And when you and when you hit someone's stare, you really fix with it. You know, don't yeah. let them leave your gaze. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and then when you do hit the stair, when you do meet eyes, like just just let one foot dangle and move <laughs> up and down temptingly, like we're like quit, <laughs> like quit a la hera won't do. There's people who that would work for, right? But I'm never <laughs> going back to my old school. Yeah, no, that's yeah. it. When you meet eyes, get to pick up the pace. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it's like, Guadalajara won't do. <laughs> I said, oh, no. Run towards a full pelt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Well, sure. Sure, it's worth a try, isn't it? Ben, we should be, we should be like, uh, <laughs> matchmakers via the medium of Steely yeah. Dan. Yeah, it's going to oh, work. It's yeah. going to work. This is like this is like that incel thing, isn't it? Like, um, what do they call yeah. it? Where like pickup artists? Mm. <laughs> we should be deliberately awful pickup artists with advice. Like this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like so. First things first, you need to buy a copy of Pressor Logic. <laughs> I, I've walked around your entire house and I can't find a copy of Pressor Logic. <laughs> your first mistake, right there. <laughs> 